Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, Waiver Wire Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hardison, joining me on this lovely Tuesday afternoon, PFF's finest ranking expert, all-around baller, Nathan Yonke himself. Nate, happy Tuesday, my friend. Week nine. Great day to be great. Yeah, happy Tuesday. Happy trade deadline day. Luckily, we got a trade right before we got on this call, so we have something to talk about. Always nice when, you know, they don't happen five minutes after we're done with everything. So, yes, TJ Hawkinson traded to the Minnesota Vikings. Going to have much more on that in a bit. As we always start off the waiver wire edition, though, got to go through and just remind you guys of all the heartbreaking shit that went on back there in week eight. That's right. It's the Sheesh Report. Fantasy football fallouts, nullified touchdowns, missed big plays, all that and much more. As always, you can find this article free, 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 free on PFF.com. But I'm going to tell you guys just the biggest near misses that that you won't have that you won't see in the box score unless you're listening to this podcast or you know looking at some of the cool back-end tools that PFF has. So first of all, last week, the Sheesh player of the week, which is not a good thing, but it's just a reality of the situation. It was Mike Evans in week eight, or I'm sorry, week seven. I thought Evans actually had a chance to get back there in week eight after Thursday night football. But Nate, I have to give the week eight award to none other than Seattle Seahawks wide receiver Tyler Lockett. Similar to Mike Evans, still had a solid day. Five catches, 63 yards, and a touchdown. Down. Could have been so much more, though. First, he caught a 21-yard pass in the end zone, only got one foot down, which, hey, for a lot of receivers, it's the reality of the situation. But some of the catches we've seen Lockett make over the years, disappointing not to see him take advantage of, again, another beautiful Geno Smith pass. That one wasn't a drop. The next one absolutely was 33 yards out. Hit him first in the helmet, then in the chest, and then fell incomplete. Absolute sheesh there. That should have been a 33-yard score. And then to make matters even worse, he did fumble a casual screen inside his own five-yard line to give the Giants a goal-to-go situation. So, again, not slander. The guy's on pace for 98 yard, 98 catches, 1,128 yards, and six touchdowns. Seahawks, first-place Seahawks, continuing to play fantastic, and they wouldn't be in this position without Tyler Lockett. Just wasn't quite his week in terms of the big picture. Now, pass catchers who could have scored or picked up big yards is a more accurate pass. This is where Mike Evans is back in the conversation. Another big week from 123 yards. Could have been so much better, bit bigger. Was wide open for a 10-yard touchdown early in the game. Tom Brady threw into the stands. Later, again open from 13 yards out in the end zone. This one wasn't as egregious, but went just off the fingertips. A perfect pass would have been another score. Finally, roasted Marlon Humphrey deep. Best case, perfect pass, 84-yard house call. At a minimum, should have been a 30- to 40-yard gain. Instead, just a sheesh and completion. 
TB12 also had a chance to hook up with Kyle Rudolph for a potential 13-yard touchdown. Missed that one as well, and that prompted Kirk Herbstreit to talk about the overall lack of timing in this offense, which is true, still awfully sheeshful. Finally, Scotty Miller did have a chance with a perfect throw for a 49-yard touchdown. Look, this happens every single week with Scotty Miller. The guy is a catch radius of a house cat, so I'm not going to overly blame Brady for that one. Just realized a lot of missed opportunities left out there on the field for the Buccaneers passing game really the entire season. Ravens, unfortunately, continue to pop up on this list. Lamar Jackson hadn't opened Demarcus Robinson streaking across the middle of the end zone. Pass was behind him, allowed the defender to catch up and force the incompletion. Uh, the Michael Gallup infamous helicopter week seven call seemed to be going back on track in week eight. They would seem to be going out of their way to get him involved early. Unfortunately, Dak did miss Gallup for what would have been an easy seven yard touchdown gave the token, you know, my bad right there afterwards. That's how, you know, it's a true sheesh. And finally DJ Moore, Yeah. Stepped up when it mattered. I mean, that diving touchdown catching the Hail Mary, absolutely madness. That said could have been a lot bigger. He had potential 81 and 24 yard scores out there. The 81 yarder PJ overthrew the 24 yarder PJ under through so hey 150 yards and a touchdown we'll take it but guys the ceiling for dj Moore as the clear-cut number one this offense seriously is the roof and we saw that last week some big time drops so tiny kill actually i mean again we saw the two long catches where Tua underthrew him but he still managed to catch it but he had a ball that got charged as a legit drop by pff that would have been good for a 60 yard score down the middle hit him in the chest both defenders ran into each other and tyreek just couldn't come down with it so again maybe one like the first big mistake Tyreek has made the entire season. I don't think anyone's too worried about it. That he continues to get 150 plus yards on a near weekly basis. Josh Reynolds also dropped the ball in the end zone. Would have been good for an eight yard score. I don't like to assume too much yak, but we did have a couple situations here where Cortland Sutton could have, should have, would have had a 33 yard go ahead touchdown late in that game. Unfortunately, let the pass hit him right off the hands and onto the ground. Also Tyler Higby, man, they designed this beautiful crosser. It worked. They had the pick play. There was one defender between Higby with Cooper Cup blocking in the, the end zone for a 72-yard touchdown. Unfortunately, Higby just dropped the pass. So, again, not saying it for sure would have been a touchdown. At a minimum, though, pretty big plays left on the field for Sutton and Higby. And as fantasy managers saw from, you know, they're pretty brutal overall uh, measures. Would have been nice to even get that. Uh, Vilas Jones Jr. dropped a deep ball that should have been good for 40-plus yards. And also Tyler Lockett, not the only Seahawks receiver to drop drop a touchdown. Marquise Goodwin also had an 18-yard score go through his hands. So Geno Smith, a little bit more underwhelming in the box score than usual. Just realized that was not on him. Final note was that tight end Evan Ingram did drop a touchdown. Now, we got held right before it, so not an official drop because they accepted the penalty. Just realized Ingram was actually close to having a two-touchdown day himself. Nullified touchdowns. Brady hit Kate Otten for a six-yard score that got brought back by a holding penalty. The Jets defense had a pick sheesh on a terrible Mac Jones pass. Real iffy roughing the pass for penalty. Went ahead and took that 84-yard pick six off the board. And Robert Tunyon got wide open from 10 yards out for a touchdown. Why was he wide open? Because he pretty much shoved the Bills defender on the ground and accordingly got called for an OPI. Um, the hilariousness that was Michael Parsons getting a fumble recovery because Justin Fields couldn't simply touch him on the ground. That's a Shisha 5 ever seen one and also point out that Panthers kicker Eddie Pinheiro not one but two opportunities to just you know do his job take three steps and kick a field goal instead couldn't 
do it in the final 32 yard miss being especially sheeshful. And would also note that Josh Allen had a free play, had an open Gabriel Davis in the back of the end zone, got the catch, just couldn't quite get both feet down. So Gabe Davis, always someone we know can boom very close to getting another 29 yard touchdown on the agenda. And finally, guys, just going through the unrealized air yards. If you guys haven't been checking out PFF, Josh Herzmeyer's buy low air yards model fantastic stuff that you can get there throughout the week and just going ahead and especially if you're a dfs player can really give you some under uh, just not underutilized some underperforming players that we can expect to be breaking out so this last week we actually had seven players this is pre-monday night football have more than 70 unrealized air yards. So all that means is air yards. If I throw a pass to Nathan 50 yards downfield and he doesn't catch it, that's 50 air yards. If he does catch it and runs for a 75-yard touchdown, still just 50 air yards because that's how many yards the ball was in the air. So this week, the top guys and the difference in that, Demir Bird with 108 unrealized air yards, Hail Mary and a long pick on the first play of the game, a little bit fluky, but hey, credit to Bird continues to, you know, show off that speed at least once per week. DJ Moore had 100 unrealized air yards. Again, huge performance that could have been even bigger. DK Metcalf at 99. Tyler Conklin, Jets tight end at 98. Gotta love the Zach Wilson experience. Devontae Adams at, 80, at 83. Robbie Anderson at 80. And Mike Evans at 73. So, as always, everyone, you can get all that information, plus a lot of the just shorts, the good ball, no dices, not the worst, though, but also not the best in my weekly sheesh report or the fantasy fallout report as our seo friendly editors love to call it so with that said nate we are officially on to week nine and with that let's go ahead and get after the waiver wire because we just had the trade happen let's go ahead and stick with the moment talk about this tj hawkinson deal traded to the minnesota vikings rare interdivision trade makes you wonder exactly how serious dan campbell and company are about restoring the roar at this point so overall the vikings are gonna get tj hawkinson of 2023 fourth round pick and a conditional 2024 fourth round pick the lions get a 2023 second round pick and a 2024 third round pick so pretty good returning capital for a guy that we have seen in this offense not exactly stand out week in and week out because of all the other options they have to throw the football to so nate the Vikings obviously needed a tight end with Irv Smith expecting to miss multiple weeks with a high ankle sprain. We were joking before the show started. I think at this point, TJ Hawkinson, someone that regularly inside our top eight tight ends, if not closer to five, he's someone that we're going to have to cross out that team name. I'm not really sure we're changing him in the rankings all that much. What are your updated rest of the season thoughts on TJ Hawkinson? Because to me, it just seems like, okay, he's in an offense that I don't even know we can necessarily say has more upside, maybe more consistency. I think there's a higher floor generally in Minnesota. We've seen them really only have one dud all season. That was all the way back in week two on Monday night against the Eagles. So Hawkinson, rest of the season thoughts. Like, are you even really adjusting your rest of the season ranking on the guy? I feel like he's still just a solid mid-tier tight end one. Uh, yeah, I think it's more changing all the players around him on both teams more so than changing Hawkinson since I think the offense is capable of doing a little bit better, which will lead to a little bit higher chances of scoring a touchdown. But with that, probably a little bit lower target share since Minnesota has more depth at wide receiver than Detroit had. And similarly, the running backs are roughly equal in terms of how good they are at receiving passes. So um, probably higher chances of scoring, lower chances of seeing some targets, which basically will even itself out. 
looking at the Lions depth chart. They now have Brock Wright and James Mitchell as their top two tight ends. Brock Wright has made a few plays this year, notably almost scored a touchdown against the Cowboys on a screen. Then Jamal Williams coughed up the ball on the next play. I'm a little bit more intrigued in their backup tight end, the rookie James Mitchell in the PFF draft guide. Always excellent work by Mike Renner. He talked about how James Mitchell, who basically missed the entirety of the 2021 season, I believe, with a torn ACL. Don't quote me on that. This is all happening very fast, but he was injured and Mike's main point was that Mitchell really one of the drafts more receiving friendly tight ends just didn't get a big chance to show it in 2021 so hopefully he gets things going but just in terms of Wright versus Mitchell's Nate it's going to take a week for us to see this usage and be at all confident that this person can even be a top 15 top 20 option because we do see so many tight end rooms around the league just utilize enough tight ends in a committee that it kind of renders all of them as, as obsolete fantasy football assets so obviously Nate the major winner here in every single offseason, in-season transaction is Amon Ross St. Brown. We all know that the dude's going to get force-fed targets seemingly more than ever at this point. But at this moment, I don't think either Wright or Mitchell are people that we need to be worrying about unless you're in super, you know, deep leagues and you're just dying to get a tight end dart. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, I think Wright will at least be the guy in the short term. They might mix Mitchell in more as the season progresses. Wright was the guy last year when Hawkinson got hurt near the end of the season. Right, did have two top 10 fantasy performances. So um, if you're in a deeper league, definitely Wright's probably the guy I'm looking at. I'll be making a waiver claim for Wright in one of my leagues where Irv Smith was my guy. So um, I am very desperate for a tight end <laughs> there. So Wright will be someone I'll be looking for there. But like all the tight ends that we were already planning on talking about for the waiver wire are still guys that I would look for before these Detroit tight ends. Hey, we've all been there. No waiver wire shaming on this podcast. If you got a question, we are here to try to help you get through that rut. And yeah, just would again stress though, at tight end and wide receiver, same thing. When the starter goes down, much, much harder to just assume the backup is going to step into that role. Just look at Harrison Bryant on the Browns, someone that myself and plenty of others across the industry thought had big things ahead of him, comes out there Monday night in goose eggs despite having a 74% snap rate. So it's not even about out, you know, getting these guys to have the same level of role just on a snap rate, on a route rate. It's also, okay, is Jared Goff could be as willing now thrown to the backup when he does have healthy versions of Swift and the Sun God out there. So interesting trade. Again, it seems to point that the, you know, Lions, who obviously still just have one win at this point, not exactly expecting, you know, the sort of second half of resurgence I'm sure many of the overbetters are hoping for. Uh, just goes to show you they didn't really see Hawkinson as a major part of their plans down the road. So still a very good tight end that's going to make the Vikings you know that much better of a group I do not think this necessarily shifts you know the overwhelming power of the offenses though uh, in the NFC North or the NFL so with that out of the way we'll see if uh, any more trades come in throughout the show feel free to let us know in the comments guys appreciate the live YouTube gang gang always chilling with us so with that we are going to get into our usual waiver wire rundown as always Nate actually has all this covered for you guys on PFF.com. On Monday, he releases his total waiver wire rankings and just everything you need to know about that. Tuesday, you can get his five top five waiver wire ads, five to uh, sell low, five to sell high, buy low. I always get those confused, Nate, but you know what I'm talking about. You have the people covered. There we go. Everything that the people need to know. So focusing right now on the top five waiver wire editions of the week, regardless of position, not a ton of goodness this week. Like I will say, I don't think this is a week where we have that three down, you know, handcuffed running back available that you need to blow the rest of your fab on. That said, still some guys that can potentially help us down the stretch. And we're starting off with Chicago Bears running back Khalil Herbert facing the Dolphins this week. Still just owned in 48% 
90% of ESPN leagues. And with Herbert Nate, I don't think it's going to be the most consistent standalone value. And we've seen that even as efficient as he is, Dave Montgomery is still the lead back there. Even if it is becoming more of a one, a one B system, but Herbert similar, I think to the Cowboys, Tony Pollard is good enough and efficient enough in an offense that really wants to run the ball. That's not wild to think he can continue to make the most out of 10 to 15 touches. So Herbert, with that aside, remains one of the top tier handcuffs in the entire league. And that seems to be why he is number one on your rankings. We're getting at least some standalone value. And again, God forbid something happens to Dave Montgomery. We're talking about a guy that's instantly in the in the position of top 15 fantasy people. Yeah, I think he is getting some of that standalone value now. They are using him more often. They are still using David Montgomery frustratingly on the first two drives completely. But after that point, we've been seeing Herbert getting used more and more in the last three quarters these past two weeks. So he's been seeing double-digit carries, which I think is good enough for standalone value in games where the Bears should stay competitive. So that's why I had him this high as he is getting at least somewhat increased usage, even though it is probably capped around this point where he'll see the majority of the carries but still have Montgomery get almost all of the passing down work. Don't look now, everyone, but the Chicago Bears starting to look like a reasonable fantasy offense we can target. They've scored 29 and 33 points over these past two weeks. They've traded Robert Quinn. they traded Roquan Smith. All of a sudden, we're starting to see, you know, just that perfect situation that we want in fantasy. A passable offense that is hopefully condensing the volume with a terrible defense that keeps forcing their offense to keep their foot on their gas, on the gas for 60 minutes. So Bears versus the Dolphins this week. You know, again, I say this before every single gambling pick. I I am not someone that's going to hit 57% plus of my bets. I'm not a profitable gambler or anything like that. But when I saw that Bears-Dolphins game total, I believe it opened at 42, and now it's only up to 44. Seems a little bit low for me, Nate, because I see the Dolphins scoring on anybody. And Justin Fields and company have been passable against the Dolphins' defense that, let's face it, has had their fair share of blows as well this season. Number two waiver wire ad is going to be Rams running back Kyron Williams. Still don't exactly have his timeline to get back in the picture. Maybe Sean McVay is, in fact, infatuated with the artist known as Ronnie Rivers. We still have Daryl Henderson there. If Cam Akers isn't traded, he's apparently going to be thrown back into the mix as well. So the allure with Kyron Williams, Nate, is the fact that None of those guys have done anything to take over this backfield. Maybe, just maybe, some of those offseason reports about Kyron Williams actually being a pretty big part of this first-team offense throughout the summer could be a sign of what's to come once the rookie is finally healthy. Uh, yeah, he did return to practice last week, so that was a step in the right direction towards him playing again. There's a chance that he could, as soon as this week, be in the lineup. Um, it's something where you have to kind of listen to what the coaches are saying, and they have talked more glowingly about Williams. And then they have some of the other running backs with the Rams. And it was a three-man committee this past week. I know Henderson was dealing with an illness, which definitely contributed to that. So um, I could see Henderson at least has been able to keep the passing down work regardless of whatever else is going on in the backfield. But I could very well see Williams taking over as the lead rusher on the team. With Herbert, again, definitely number one ad. He's someone that if you do, if you are needy at running back, I think he warrants a 20% or so fab addition. He's someone that you can get a little bit of standalone value with, again, with high handcuff upside. Kyron Williams, I don't think you'll need to even go that high, Nate. He's more someone, what, 10% for especially RB needy rosters? Uh, yeah, assuming there's no new news about him today, I think you can slip and get him in now before everyone else is talking about him. 
The only problem is what's really been impacting the entire Rams offense other than Cooper Cup. And that's this is the worst group that Sean McVay has ever had. We could usually point to the 2020 year, the last time they had Jared Goff in the final straw. And yeah, they weren't great. They were number 22 in points, but still 11th in yards. This year's Ram offense, they ranked 28th in points and 30th in yards. I mean, look, 30th ranked offensive line and pass blocking grade. That certainly hasn't helped matters. I'm not saying it's any one specific person's fault, but man, Matthew Stafford last year, he threw 41 touchdowns. So you can live with the 17 interceptions this year. He's on pace for 17 touchdowns and 19 interceptions. So hasn't been good. Hopefully McVay goes back to what he's known best over the years. And that is featuring a true workhorse running back. Maybe just maybe that could be Kyra Williams because Lord knows nobody else there has really been able to solve this puzzle so far. Number three, waiver wire edition, Nikki, uh, Nathan, it's going to be Ron Dale Moore against the Seattle Seahawks. Now we actually saw this matchup a couple of weeks ago and it didn't go awesome for the Cardinals specifically. They only scored nine points in that one, but they brought DeAndre Hopkins back in the offense and all of a sudden things have looked awfully good for everyone involved. 42 points against the Saints, 26 points against the uh, Vikings. And the really good news is that Ron Dale Moore with Robbie Anderson now on the outside back in the friendly confines of the slot. So I I remember in week six, you know, pitching one of my rare wins in the old gambling world in the player prop scene with Rondale Moore getting that over against the Seattle secondary. That's very good. Again, they've improved also throughout the year. This is not this terrible defense that we thought we were maybe getting after the first five or so weeks of action. But historically, and even this year, this has been a group that has allowed slot receivers, especially to have bunches of success. So Nate, with Rondale, we'll see what happens when Hollywood Brown comes back, but that's not necessarily something that's imminent at all. He's still on IR. We haven't really gotten a clear timetable on Brown's return um, at all to this point. Rondale more someone that does seem to have a chance to get around 10 combined targets and carries per week. And this week, it's an especially good matchup with all these guys on by, man. I haven't gotten through my rankings yet, but it's going to be pretty hard to keep Rondale held even out of the top 30 at this point. Uh, yeah, he had a 100-yard game, scored a touchdown this past week, and he's never leaving the field, even though they have all these other wide receivers when they're in two wide receiver sets, it's Hopkins and Moore on the field. And we did get to see him play in the slot. It was A.J. Green playing a bit on the outside as well. They're basically rotating three wide receivers for that third wide receiver spot, but none of that's really impacting more too much outside of where he's lining up. So I think... He's just on the field all the time. The Cardinals offense gets really hot and really cold sometimes. If they're hot, then I don't think you can keep more out of your starting lineup. We haven't quite seen them put it all together yet. Again, this is a team that ranks 27th in EPA per play in the first half, and they're literally third in the second half. So this is, again, why I've called them one of the more frustrating teams to watch. Not because they've been terrible throughout it. It's because you see the ceilings. You see what they're truly capable of when everything's working, and then you see them still be so bad for extended stretches. So hopefully it would make sense if you add a healthy Hopkins, you add a healthy Rondale, and, and Kyler starts to figure things out more than ever. So Rondale more finally starting to have that sort of you know, touch ceiling that made everyone, including myself, so hyped about the guy throughout the summer. Number four wave wire edition of the week is going to be Justin Fields, still only owned in 26% of ESPN leagues. And Nathan, he's doing it again, man. Justin Fields was absolutely brutal during the first four weeks of the season. There's no other way to really uh, talk about it. And even this, even in fantasy, man, it didn't matter that he was running the football a lot. 
Weeks one through four, Justin Fields, QB 23, 28, 32, and 25. And then all of a sudden, over these past four weeks, QB 12, QB 9, back-to-back QB 5 finishes here in week seven and week eight. So we've seen the passing game be approachable. I mean, my God, the first month of the year, you weren't even sure if they could crack 100 yards more games than not. So still not getting the most help from the receivers. I'm not expecting Fields to ever be this you know consistent 300-plus yard passer by any stretch of the imagination. But Nate, no one's running the ball more than this guy at this point, other than Jalen Hurts and, to an extent, Lamar Jackson. That is pretty much enough alone, just this rushing upside for Justin Fields to be a QB1 the rest of the way. Uh, yeah, he ranks second in rushing attempts, rushing yards, one of the several quarterbacks with three rushing touchdowns on the season. His receivers are getting a little bit better. Uh, Nikhil Harry seems to have taken the second wide receiver spot. So that's a step in the right direction, at least. Uh, Byron Pringle could be, uh, he returned to practice, could be back in the lineup soon. So even his receivers could be getting a little bit better along the way. And he does have the highest average depth of target for a quarterback who's currently starting in the NFL. So plenty of opportunities for big plays along the way as well. Fields absolutely our preferred streamer of the week. And it's a reasonable matchup against the Dolphins. They are a little bit boomer bust in the way, you know, they're just so blitz happy and they are capable of, you know, making some plays on the ball with Xavier Howard and others in the secondary. But only the Steelers, Falcons, Lions, Raiders, and Chiefs have allowed more fantasy points per game to opposing quarterbacks than the Dolphins this season. So overall, I looked at the quarterbacks only rushing fantasy points per game. Jalen Hurts is in first place with 9.5 fantasy points per game just from rushing. Lamar Jackson second at 8.4 Justin Fields at 7.6 really not far behind those guys at all uh Daniel Jones and Josh Allen the only other quarterbacks over six so hey when you look at it they're even leading in this more man no quarterback has more design rushes than Justin Fields with 17 over the last two weeks Credit to the Bears man they're making something out of this offense and I still wish that they had put any amount of effort to get in Justin Fields, another good receiver or two, but that's life. Hopefully that he gets a chance in year three to do it. Remember how Josh Allen looked his first two years? You add Stephon Diggs, all of a sudden he's a world beater. Jalen Hurts, first two years. Eh, you add A.J. Brown, things look pretty good. Will Justin Fields make that leap? I have no idea. Let's find out, though, because that'd be a lot cooler than just continuing to surround him with, you know, these players that are not very good with all due respect to Darnell Mooney. Finally, Nathan, our number five waiver wire ad of the week is going to be Broncos tight end Greg Dolchitz on a bye. But so far, what we've seen from his usage looks like he might be a top 10, top 12 tight end the rest of the way if it sticks. Uh, yeah, he's been worthy of being a fantasy starter every game of his career so far. Yeah, a lot of it has come in very short periods of time. He had like 70 yards in one drive in the game, but that's still better than you'll see out of basically any other tight end over the course of a game. So, um, He's playing in a lot more two tight end sets that's been increasing as the season's progressed. So I'm not really concerned about his role in the offense anymore. It seems like the team will be needing to pass a ton throughout the rest of the season. So he shouldn't be really leaving the field all that often. That should be reason for him to get plenty of targets, plenty of catches, and continue to be a top 12 fantasy tight end over the course of the rest of the season. I think, you know, I'm not ready to crown him as next big thing at the position in terms of a real life perspective. Uh, shout out to uh, Fantasy Points Scott Barrett for bringing up that, you know, this is actually the third best start in NFL history in terms of receiving yards for a tight end in their first three games. So, hey, he's been putting up some points. And, you know, if that does continue, then that's fantastic. Just realized the touchdown his first game, complete busted coverage, his 38-yard catch last game down the one-inch line, also a situation where nobody guarded him. So guess what? 
what? Those fantasy points still count the same for us. I'm willing to look past that because exactly what Nathan just said, the underlying usage is telling us he's a tight end one. So guess what? Those types of things will happen to full-time players. And hopefully he's going to have more scoring opportunities down the road because he really can't have less at this point. I mean, this Broncos offense, I've been trying to stress, it's not that Russ and company have been bad. They've been arguably the single worst offense in the entire league this year. 31st in points per game, dead last in EPA per play, 23rd in yards per play, 29th in scoring drive rate. Please, guys, like it's so sad, Nate. That 21 point, you know, performance in London, that felt like a breath of fresh air. And it was like, you know, Russ barely skirts back 250 passing yards. So they got this week nine by. Please, guys, get your shit together. Do your high knees. Do whatever you have to do. Greg Dolchich, hopefully, will be one of many pass catchers in this group, giving us some better fantasy days ahead. So, again, top five waiver wire additions of the week from the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Khalil Herbert, Kyron Williams, Rondale Moore, Justin Fields, and Greg Dolchich. With these guys, Nate, again, tight end needy teams. I do think Dolchich is going to be a fairly consistent tight end one down the rest of the stretch. If you really need someone, are you willing to go up into that 20% range for Greg Dolchich? Um, I think so, yeah. It probably depends a little bit on league type and make sure that you have a tight end that you can start this upcoming week since he has a bye. But that being said, I'd be fine having him in your lineup the rest of the year. So I think 20 is fair. Justin Fields, another one where I do think quarterback is replaceable enough that you don't need to make a habit of going out of your way to go get these guys. But that said, I don't, this is not a one week fluke. This is not, hey, look at Justin Fields in this matchup. And after this, we're done with him. This rushing usage is pretty much too big to bust. If you just look at the overall 17 game pace from every quarterback this year, Jalen Hurts is in first with 192, but second place, even ahead of Lamar, ahead of Daniel Jones and all these other guys, is Justin Fields at a 162. So Lamar Jackson holds a single season record for rush attempts in a year with 176. Even if Fields isn't quite as good as Lamar Jackson, guess what? We'll take 80% of that in fantasy land, eight days of the week. Rondale Moore, again, someone that I also think we have an extended stretch here. So if you want to go into that 20, 25% range for Rondale and Khalil Herbert, I think that's reasonable. Kyron Williams, much more of a dart, someone that realistically this time next week, if we get some bad usage or if health Later today, the Rams go ahead and make a trade for one of these running backs allegedly on the market. He could be someone that's immediately not going to be a viable option. So Herbert, Rondale, Fields, and Dolchich really feeling good about Kyron Williams, a little bit more of a lottery ticket. Oh, yeah. And there's not many lottery tickets left. So that's true. Get them while you can. That is true. I mean, it gets freaking dire out there on the waiver wire sometimes. I know I don't need to tell you that. All right, we'll go position by position now a little bit deeper here. And again, can't stress enough that Nathan has all this covered in his articles weekly on PFF.com. So already talked about Justin Fields. Again, only owned in 26% of ESPN League. So if you guys are listening to any of these players, and God, why are you talking about them? They're already owned. They're going to be owned. I hear you. I think it's wild sometimes too, but we're working off the percentages and I don't have a better solution than doing just that. But after Fields, Nate, we have Jared Goff, Marcus Mariota, Andy Dalton, and P.J. Walker. I would say in that order, we can talk about Goff maybe versus Mariota in terms of upside this week. But Jared Goff really does seem like the second-best streamer at home against the Packers. And to Goff's credit, I mean, last week I mentioned the one Josh Reynolds drop touchdown. He had another chance for about a 40-yarder on fourth and one. Really wasn't a bad game from Jared Goff. We saw him get his weapons back, and accordingly, he started putting up better numbers. I view Goff 
Goff and guys like Andy Dalton a little bit in the same light. There's some of there really is some of its parts quarterback, and when the parts are all there, good things happen. Now you take Hawkinson out of the equation, it's not ideal. But Jared Goff at home against the Packers, as I was making my quarterback rankings today, certainly someone that's going to be ranked closer to 12 and 20. Uh, yeah, a lot of these guys, I view them as in your fantasy team, you have two quarterbacks. And if you don't have one of the top seven, you pick whoever is having the best matchup that week. And all of these quarterbacks can be one of those two on your roster. And Goff, someone, he's been top 10 in passing yards, uh, plenty of passing touchdowns as well, has his weapons back, could get DJ Chark and Jamison Williams back later in the year. So there's even chances that he could be even better, even though now he doesn't have TJ Hawkinson to throw to anymore. Also, Marcus Mariota taking on the Chargers. Obviously not the easiest matchup. You can give him the slight nod ahead of Goff if you wish, which I did in my rankings by one single spot. Thanks to that rushing upside. And hey, he has been a good passer when asked to this year. And as much as we want to, you know, curse Arthur Smith's name and all this, guys, I have plenty of teams with Kyle Pitts and Drake London too. I really wish they would throw him the ball more and it's okay to be frustrated about that. Don't mistake that, though, for Arthur Smith's slander because we got to hat tip this guy. He His job is to score points in the win real-life football games. He has told us that. And while that annoys us because of all the exposure we have to Pitts and Drake London, it's been a damn good offense without many proven parts to really go off of. So overall on the season, the Falcons are sixth in points per game, seventh in EPA per play, 14th yards per play, and ultimately number nine in scoring drive rates. So hat tip to Arthur Smith, man. If you would have told Falcons fans, any fans before the year, that this was going to be a top 10 scoring offense, they probably would have asked you, you know, what the hell you're smoking. So good stuff by Arthur Smith in real life. That said, please just throw the ball to Pitts in London. A little bit more, man. We are begging you. Uh, finally, P.J. Walker, just 2.1% owned, facing off against the Bengals fantastic story, Nate. Again, some of the throws he's making are absolutely spectacular. Highest big-time throw rate of any quarterback this season with a minimum of 50 dropbacks. How confident are you in this Carolina Panthers offense keeping on, keeping on? From DJ Moore's perspective, I'm feeling good because of all the volume and just there not really being too many other guys to really take that on. In terms of P.J. Walker continuing to make the most out of this offense, it's been a fun story. I think he can flash a little bit. But in this group, man, I still have a hard time putting Walker anywhere above any of these guys. Uh, Yeah, but to go back to something you were saying before, how we have some people watching this and are like, these guys aren't available in my league. I try to get a high variety of players who are available in different size leagues. Walker, I don't have any above any of the other four guys, but he's a lot more available than the other four. So if those four aren't available in your leagues, Walker is probably the best one who could be available. I think the offense might not do quite as well going forward, but I think Walker has done enough to keep the starting job, at least for the foreseeable future. And they have been passing the ball fairly well. He's graded well to this point. So I think he can continue to produce at least at some level. Nathan Yonke, a man of the people. Going to take us to running back and our official sleeper of the week. Brought to you by the fine folks over at Sleeper. Love playing all my leagues over at Sleeper, except our PFF one where I'm inexplicably, I think, three and five at this point. I don't think you're doing that great too, Nate. Nope. We got to watch We got watch Kevin run away with this damn league, taking all of the zero R. Here's my thing. Zero RB looks great. You say, I just need a running back. And then you realize that your freaking league doesn't even do fab. So you're at the freaking, you know, waiver 
wire order. You got, you got that freaking shit going on. So I'm not bitter at all with uh, that going on. But, hey, I love the Sleeper app. And guess what? They do give you the possibility to do fab and a bunch of other very cool customizable leagues. You just got to actually talk to the league manager about doing that instead of signing up for your 22nd league and just hoping things go right. Again, not bitter at all here. But anyway, our Sleeper of the Week is going to once again be Khalil Herbert, someone that just truly is getting the standalone value that it's not completely out of the question that he overtakes David Montgomery at some point this year. He has been the better back in every single rushing category, even after going in and trying to find some of the stuff to make sure I wasn't just, you know, rewarding a scat back or a change of pace back for having less overall volume. I mean, even looking at yards after contact percentage, just amount of carries with two or more yards after contact. Herbert and Montgomery are within 1%. You look at actually who's faced had a higher percentage of their runs against eight plus defenders in the box. Herbert's actually had a tougher time than Montgomery with defenses usually st- stacking the box for him. So been great. They're still going to use Montgomery a little more than we want on passing downs. But we saw earlier this season when Montgomery missed a week, instantly had Herbert in the top 15 options available. And with this Bears offense now starting to look a little average. I think that's fair. Not great, but average. That's a lot better than people wondering if this was like the worst team in NFL history, you know, after week one or week two going on. So we will take that more potential scoring opportunities for Herbert if Montgomery misses time. Again, one of those awesome flexible benefits that we were touting this time, you know, back in August, just for that reason in the later rounds of the draft. So Khalil Herbert, again, our sleeper of the week. Love to find folks over at Sleeper. Other news, Nate. Mr. Three-Touchdown King himself, Deontay Foreman. A lot of fantasy analysts catching some shit from the old Twitterers out there because, hey, someone that we all didn't exactly, you know, scream to the rooftops to start. And a bit of that for me was the fact that this was a Panthers offense that I wasn't expecting to score 34 points out there against the Falcons. That said, they did, and things are looking better. How confident are you in this continuing, though? Because the only problem with Foreman is the fact that Chuba Hubbard did work ahead of him in those first three quarters of week seven before he got hurt. Uh, Yeah, I'm still concerned about Hubbard, and because of that, I would view Hubbard as someone that you should be picking up as well. Um, Foreman at least wasn't playing on third downs very much, which is something that's been true for basically all of his career, so I'm confident Hubbard, once he's healthy, will regain at least a third down role. And like I would have expected Foreman to have been the starter um, over a week ago rather than Hubbard, so the fact that Hubbard started means that Carolina at least likes something about him to have thought he'd be better than Foreman two weeks ago. Um, Ideally, Foreman, based on his performance this past week, will continue to have more playing time based on how well he played. But I think this very well can still be a two-back committee going forward. We actually had three backs involved last week. Deontay Foreman, Raheem Blackshear, and something named Spencer Brown, which reminds me of last year when McCaffrey got hurt. And all of a sudden, Rodney Smith was you know jumping into the equation and taking away some snaps from everyone involved. So, look, Foreman looks fantastic out there. I mean, I was joking around that he must have just like stolen some of McCaffrey and Derrick Henry's powers over these past two seasons. And honestly, at this point, Marlon Mack, Cam Akers, James Robinson, Foreman's probably had the best recovery from his Achilles of the group. Makes you wonder if these guys do need you know a couple years more than just six months to actually get back to full health regardless he's looking great out there do we trust pj walker in the offense and the offensive line to continue to be this high of a scoring offense i don't that said 
Nate, I could see Foreman being a similar ranking as like Brian Robinson down the stretch. He doesn't quite have the same Antonio Gibson threat in his backfield, but Foreman should still flirt with that 15 carry mark, even when Chuba is back. And from that perspective, okay, we have someone that can probably be ranked, you know, inside the top 30. I'm just not expecting Foreman to be someone that's going to be, you know, touching that top 12 anytime soon, probably regardless of even if Chuba Hubbard stays sidelined. Uh, yeah, I think I'd agree with you. And if Carolina's offense does regress, I could see that being a situation where Hubbard starts playing even more because they'd be in more passing situations, which Hubbard spent on the field more in the passing situations. Foreman is already owned 66% of ESPN leagues. So if he's available, that's probably going to be, you know, more of a shallow league. And I don't love the idea, Nate, of chasing again, what's going to be easily his best performance of the season though. So I feel like a reasonable amount for Foreman is like a 15% fab addition. Chuba maybe a little bit uh, less because people are going to be off that set. And he still is obviously dealing with this injury. Foreman, about a 15% guy. Again, I just, he's, even if Chuba is out the rest of the season, man, we just saw in this week that they weren't willing to completely turn the backfield over to him. And yeah, the Gus Edwards, look at the Gus Edwards game two weeks ago when these early down backs score touchdowns. It looks like they're never going to lose again. You take away those touchdowns and full PPR scoring, things get tough in a hurry. So 15% for Foreman, or am I not giving him enough credit? Um, I think 15% is fine. And I seem more concerned about Hubbard than you going forward. So I might even go slightly lower than 15 Edwards, speaking of, is dealing with this ankle injury. It's not as severe as we actually thought it might be based on, you know, when it happened on Thursday night. He does have quite a while to get ready before this Monday night football matchup against the Saints. I am pulling up Harbaugh's most recent comments about Gus the Bus right now. And yes, he said that he's dealing with a minor hamstring strain and is questionable for the team's week nine matchup. So unfortunately, because this is a Monday night, you're going to have to have a backup plan. Anything with Gus Edwards, maybe that backup plan could be Kenyon Drake. Justice Hill is still going to be involved to an extent, but Mike Davis is completely on the out. So Nate, with Gus Edwards, someone that, hey, weekly low-end RB2. Again, he's basically Deontay Foreman in an offense that we're more confident in scoring points on a weekly basis. If not with Gus, I don't want to say I'd necessarily cross out his name and just immediately slide Kenyon Drake in there, but it wouldn't be that big of a drop-off. Gus Edwards, fantasy managers, or people looking to get him, it seems like Kenyon Drake is just naturally the solid pivot you'll need to make this work on Monday Night Football. Uh, Yeah, I think Drake will see more playing time than either one of those backs would see individually just because of how few backs they would have left. I think Edwards on Thursday night, I know he was disappointing people over the first half, but he was still on the field whenever they wanted to run the ball. So uh, looking more long-term, I'm okay with Edwards since I think he'll still be the primary rusher. Even with J.K. Dobbins coming back, I think Edwards will still see double-digit carries each week. So I'm probably not wanting to trust either of them this week just because it's Monday night. Right. If you really need to, then have Drake as the backup plan. But long-term, I think Edwards can still be someone who – not going to be a top 15 running back, but can be a starter in the right matchup. And when we get these start sick questions involving like an iffy guy on Monday night, if it's at all close, guys, you just got to take the other dude. Now, if it's, you know, let me think. If it's Gus Edwards versus freaking, you know, Malik Taylor or Malik Davis, whoever the hell the Cowboys backup running back is right now, like, okay, fine. Then you can go ahead and take that chance. But Gus Edwards versus anyone in the top 30, I will be taking that other guy with so much uncertainty ahead of Monday night football. Already talked about Kyron Williams for a little bit. Isaiah Pacheco still only owned in 25% of 
of ESPN leagues, despite, you know, getting the starting job, Nate. Now the starting job in Kansas City goes between Isaiah Pacheco or Clyde Edwards Hilaire. But guess what? Jarek McKinnon ends up usually leading the backfield and snaps. Anyway, he gets all the two minute stuff, most of the third down stuff. Hell, McKinnon even goes out there sometimes on the goal line. So Pacheco does seem to be trending upwards. That said, I don't really see CEH and especially McKinnon leaving this committee anytime soon. That said, Isaiah Pacheco should be seeing 10 to 15 touches more weeks than not inside of a Chiefs offense that we've barely seen, you know, lose a step even without Tyreek Hill. What are your rest of season expectations for Pacheco and how eager should people be how eager should people be to grab him off the waiver wire? Oh uh, yeah. Typically three back committees you want to avoid altogether, but because this is Kansas City with the high powered offense and the chance of scoring touchdowns, I think the really exciting thing is Kansas City's schedule gets a bit easier going forward. And with that, they'll be able to run the ball more. And they do tend to trust their younger players more when they're ahead compared to when they're behind. So if they're winning, we should be seeing more Pacheco than we've been seeing these past couple weeks. Three of their next four games, you could just see these getting out of hand in a hurry. They got the Titans at home on Sunday Night Football this week. All due respect to the, you know, again, WWWW, five straight wins. Tennessee Titans, Mike Rabel, coach of the year. I am here for it. That said, if we're going to get a banged up Tannehill or, you know, God forbid, Malik Willis out there again, it could be a tough afternoon for the Titans offense. The Jaguars in week 10 looked like they were Super Bowl contenders after week three. At least that's what the mainstream media was telling us has not looked that way lately okay we've seen some Chiefs and Chargers games be great but then that Rams game man who knows if again it's bottom five offense can't actually keep up with the Chiefs so we're looking at three of the next four games where the Chiefs do seemingly have a good chance of getting up by quite a bit Isaiah Pacheco should be the big addition there so again I do agree Khalil Herbert tends to be the main guy after him though Nate I think it's pretty reasonable between Foreman and Pacheco and honestly I probably throw my chips down at Pacheco I'd be more willing to go I think up to the 20% range for Pacheco than Foreman what say you um Pacheco I'm fine not quite going to the 20 percent just because he's been a name on people's radars all season long and yeah he's on the upward trend a little bit now but I think if people wanted him in your league they probably already tried to get him so I don't think you even need to go up to 20 in order to add him to your roster it's a good point. I do question what his total best case upside is. They still have Ronald Jones on this roster. He's not playing special team snaps. He's Ronald Jones, but like they could have just cut him. Instead, they're keeping him. So if one of Pacheco or CEH got hurt, yeah, the other guy would get a nice boost, but I think we'd see an annoying amount of Ronald Jones out there. Not that he would be an asset. It'd be kind of like Ty Johnson with the Jets. Like you just look up at the end of the day and you're like, ah, oh, why do you have to be there? Be a lot cooler if there were only two backs. Also have Jalen Warren on by. My God, some of the memes on Najee Harris just, you know, and his <laughs> having a hole and just kind of instantly trying to make people miss anyway instead of, you know, putting his head down, cracking me up. So, again, I don't think Jalen Warren is necessarily going to overtake Najee Harris, but he is one injury to Najee Harris. Unlike Pacheco, Jalen Warren, one injury away from legitimately being a top 15 running back potentially on a week-by-week basis. It's one of these weird situations similar to, like, Cleveland where right now, Nick Chubb is never going to get a 90% snap rate. And Najee Harris right now with Jalen Warren is not going to get his usual 90% snap rate. If something happens to Najee Harris, though, I do think Jalen Warren would all of a sudden have the workhorse role, just like in Cleveland. Oddly enough, when Chubb and Hunt are out of the picture, Deonis Johnson gets that workhorse role that we kind of wish uh, one of those other guys could get. So don't forget about Jalen Warren, Rashad White, Alexander Madison, Khalil Herbert, all these guys that are truly only one injury away from having a legit three down roll. 
Also want to point out Latavius Murray on by. Did look like the more explosive Broncos running back last week. Already talked about some of the overall problems in Denver. But hey, Latavius Murray, again, if you're looking for someone that should see 10 plus touches more weeks than not, he's a reasonable guy that you shouldn't have to spend anything on because he's on a bye week if you want to look ahead. And what was interesting, Nate, is the presence of James Cook here. Still only owned in 26% of ESPN leagues. Back-to-back games where Zach Moss has been a healthy scratch. Devin Singletary is continuing to really lead the way. I don't think Cook, even though he busted off some big plays last week, is going to flirt with standalone value anytime soon. All of a sudden, though, if something happens to Devin Singletary, no, I don't think James Cook is in the one injury. He's not a tier one handcuff for me in my RB article. I did move him up to a tier two handcuff, though. Guys like Naeem Hines and, you know, people that could uh, – Naeem Hines, Kenneth Gamewell, these lead pass-catching friendly running backs who, yeah, I don't think James Cook would necessarily see more than 10 or 12 carries per game without Devin Singletary. But that's okay. We don't need that, man. If he's going to be the clear lead back with that plus five or more targets, that's one of the more fantasy-friendly roles we could ask for. So James Cook, someone that – that not in terms of standalone value we're loving, but his handcuff upside is looking actually better and better as the season goes on. Oh, yeah, and I could see an opportunity for him to get a little standalone value at some point. The Bills do have one of the easiest schedules remaining. Uh, They could very well be giving Cook more playing time because of that easy schedule. And if Cook plays well in that limited playing time, that could earn him more playing time over the course of the entire game. They have oddly, because I mean, look, the Bills' best point differential in the NFL, I believe, by a pretty good margin. And like, this is one of the few teams that does in the year 2022 just get up and blow these teams out by 2030. So we have had these games where, you know, the Bills have been willing to just feed Cook down the stretch. And if Zach Moss is completely out of the picture, all of a sudden, James Cook, if we can get, hey, even five to eight, you know, carries and targets per week just before garbage time, all of a sudden we could be pushing 15 touches anytime the Bills really get up by a lot which again is actually you know quite often here in this buffalo offense so quick running back roundup again khalil herbert top ad of the week after him we're looking at isaiah pacheco and deontay foreman as guys with the best mixture of rest of season upside as well as you can actually put them in your lineups this week don't forget about Gus Evers and Kenyon Drake. The problem is they're playing on Monday Night Football, so really need to be careful with that ankle injury. Gus is currently going through. Kyron Williams, lottery ticket? No? I mean, yeah, you know, we've all tried to play the lottery before, and that could honestly be useless in a couple of weeks. Or maybe you win the lottery. To Nate's point, there really aren't many lottery tickets available on that waiver wire. So continue to give Kyron Williams a nice gaze. Latavius Murray on by could give you a little bit of standalone value in the future. Jalen Warren continues to be a truly legit handcuff who's available at 97% of ESPN leagues. And also don't sleep on James Cook. Getting a small little post-buy bump with the potential for much, much more, God forbid, something happened to Devin Singletary. All right, guys, before we get on to wide receivers, I want to give a quick couple shout-outs to our lovely sponsors out there, starting off with DraftKings. Make every play this season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and their unbeatable offers. Right now, new, new customers can make any $5 NFL bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. And to make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a $5 bet in any football game only at DraftKings Sportsbook using code PFF. Also want to note the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. When you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, 
plan to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. I, yeah, yes to all three of those things. Please, Western Southern's Playbook of Life Insurance Investment and Retirement Solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. On the wide receiver, Nate, again, Rondale Moore, one of our top pickups of the week. He should be your top pickup of the week at the wide receiver position. A couple other guys that are still available in a lot more leagues than I think people would expect. We do have Allen Robinson, 60% owned in ESPN leagues at the moment. In Tampa Bay this week, awfully banged up secondary, despite some of the problems they were able to give Lamar last Thursday night. Cooper Cup is allegedly going to be playing through this ankle injury, perhaps not at 100%, though. We have seen Robinson do a little bit better here in recent weeks. So overall thoughts on A-Rob the rest of the season, because the usage is there, Nate, if this offense could go from, again, being a true bottom five unit to even average, it'd be a lot easier to get behind A-Rob moving forward. Oh, yeah. At the very least, he saw eight targets this past week, so the best he's seen there getting more yards the past two weeks than he's been seeing earlier in the season, so he's been trending in the right direction. Uh, Part of the reason I had him so high is I'm writing this late Sunday night, so didn't know quite as much about the cup injury at the time. So Robinson looks a little less attractive now than he did before, but definitely a chance with the talent he's had before that he could still turn things around over the course of the second half of the season. Kadarius Tony still only owning 54% of these ESPN leagues. No, we're not starting Tony this week. Maybe not next week. Maybe not all season. But what was our exact reasoning for taking chances on guys like Juju, MVS, even Miko and Sky Moore throughout this offseason? They get to catch the football from Patrick Mahomes. And that also applies to Kadarius Tony. He deleted the tweet, but he basically already came out and said that he's not injured and he's going to be fine out there. So we'll know more when the injury report comes out on Wednesday. So, Nate. We need two big ifs to happen here. We need Kadarius Tony to stay healthy, which he has not proven he can do, and we need him to find a spot on this depth chart, which is not a given. That said, when they said, I believe it was a third and a sixth round pick for him, that doesn't seem like the sort of capital for him just to be, you know, a wide receiver five slash punt returner. It does seem like Tony is the sort of, to your point, lottery ticket available out there, and we don't see many lottery tickets, especially at wide receiver. How much fab are you willing to go out and get Tony? Because I would say if he's still available in your league, everyone's kind of had a chance to get him at this point you might not need to spend as much as again his best case scenario warrants oh uh, yeah i'd be fine with about 15 or so the nice thing about kansas city's offense is they already like to rotate their wide receivers a ton uh, they've been doing it for more than this year they rotated up to six different wide receivers at times last year so tony will be able to get into that rotation it's just a matter of how much playing time he does get but I could very well see him rising week in and week out, slowly taking time from other players rather than other situations where you just need a player to take over for a different player. So I think Tony can definitely slowly get involved rather than this being uh, he's benched versus he's starting kind of situation. Some breaking news in the middle of the podcast loving this happens Steelers wide receiver Chase Claypool has been traded to the Chicago Bears building around Justin Fields love to see it Claypool had this incredible play last week he catches you know that makes a nice contested catch 10 yards downfield bullies his way for another eight yards I was joking that if George Pickens made that very same play the internet would be losing their damn minds but it's Chase Claypool who people still seem to not really give credit because he called himself a top three wide receiver in the offseason and he's 
celebrated a first down too long at one inopportune moment last year. But at the end of the day, this is a young receiver in a Bears offense that needs anybody to get going. So let's start off with Chicago, Nate. It's still an offense that, let's face it, we're not getting much receiving production and passing game production, period, out of the group. I mean, Darnell Mooney can't even establish himself as a consistent guy here as the true number one. Should continue to be that guy. I'm looking at Justin Fields' stats right now. He has only passed 200 passing yards in one game this season. His pass attempts per game from week one to present, 17, 11, 17, 22, 21, 27, 21, 23. I do not think Chase Claypool is going to be much of anything in Chicago other than possibly pretty efficient on about five targets per game. He's not someone that I want to really be buying. It's a worse situation for him, Nate. I don't think he's going to see even better volume in Chicago as the likely number two than he did as the number three in a much more pass-happy Steelers offense. So, if anything, Claypool being there makes me feel worse about Mooney's chances of actually breaking out because now this Bears offense that, again, already didn't have any volume to necessarily spare for these guys, they now have another cog coming in there and making things that much tighter. I will gladly let someone else outbid me for Claypool on the waiver wire. Uh, yeah, I did just check Claypool is only available in about 29% of ESPN League, so he is less available than anyone else that we're talking about today. Um, my initial reaction is this probably impacts guys around Claypool more than Claypool himself. Um, Claypool was someone who could have a couple of big games, but you don't know when they're coming, so it's hard to put him in your starting lineup. I think that'll probably be a similar thing in Chicago where he will probably have some huge games at some point in the season. You just don't know when they're coming, so it's hard to trust him. Um, I am more excited about Fields now that he has another weapon to throw to, so that's good news for Fields. And I think that does make things in Pittsburgh a little bit more stable for their three other receivers. Bears gave a second round pick for Claypool. A second? You spent all offseason. You had the entire offseason, a draft free agency to add anything to this room. And then on November 1st, freaking hours before the trade deadline, you're just saying, F it, we're going to trade a second for I just said a lot of good things about Chase Claypool. A second-round pick, though, my goodness, Nate. Just just another, hey, we're, as uh, Brian Hagerman said in our uh, YouTube comments, like this is a better, just better roster now for Justin Fields. I would feel even better about him being, you know, our QB streamer of the week. So good news for Fields, but in terms of everyone else's fantasy upside, yeah, not looking great. Sorry if I uh, repeat a little bit about what you just said, Nate. Again, I'm incredibly taken aback in the moment by a second round pick uh, for Chase Claypool. But again, if you're helping fields, okay, that is what I've been asking for throughout uh, this entire year as well. In Pittsburgh now, who's even what Calvin Austin, I guess, is he going to kind of be their number three? He's more of a gadgety guy though. Yeah, I don't, I think he's on injured reserve and I don't think he's able to come back this season even. So I thought he um, just played last week. We have someone else. So that's my bad. <laughs> Uh, yeah, let me. Who's the number three? Because Ray Ray McLeod's obviously in San Francisco now. James yep. Washington's um, in Dallas. They got Miles Boykin on the team. I don't know if he'd be their third wide receiver, though. And like get... the big thing before is like they didn't have a slot receiver. Uh, Steven Sims could very well be their slot guy going forward. It's oh, Gunner. Oh, <sighs> you can't say it. so hard. I, can't, I, can't. <laughs> I do a lot more writing than I do talking, so I don't have to learn how to pronounce most of these guys' names most of the time. 
I'm actually uh, going to plot twist m- messing up the Calvin Austin thing. I was thinking of Steven Sims because he got a Jets okay. last week. Guess yeah. what, guys? When you watch the All-22, you don't get the announcers telling you, you know, what player <laughs> actually has the ball sometimes. So that's my, uh, you know, galaxy brain twist on uh, messing up a player there. So now Deontay Johnson, George Pickens. We still have Pat Fryermuth and obviously Najee Harris, you know, theoretically is going to be getting a lot of targets as well. So, Nate, I know you publish your rest of season rankings, you know, every single Monday or Tuesday on pff.com Deontay and Pickens now there these were guys where again it was getting awfully difficult to even rank them especially Deontay even inside the top 30 just because of how spread out things could be from one week to the next I don't expect any of Boykin or Sims to at all you know be major factors into this equation so no I don't think that this is going to be a passing game necessarily flirting with a ton of upside anytime soon but we do have far more volume available in Chicago. And I'm not completely writing off Kenny Pickett yet because we do this sometimes where a guy gets put into a bad situation. We recognize that. We talk about that. And then we forget about it a couple of weeks later. And we just say the guy sucks. Let's not forget everyone. Pickett got thrown into the fire at halftime against a tough Jets team. After that, they go into Buffalo. They face the Buccaneers. He gets concussed. Then they got to go into Miami, rainy Sunday night game. And then last week, they were in Philadelphia. So they have a bye week to get this together. Pretty reasonable matchups coming up against banged up Saints and Bengals secondaries. They got the Colts, Falcons, Ravens, Panthers, Raiders, Ravens. Nate, I'm getting excited about George Pickens, potentially Deontay Johnson down the stretch. Just again, I'm not asking you for your exact rankings, but I think it's not out of the realm of possibility if we see Pickett start stepping things up for both these guys, start flirting with that top 24 line. Am I too optimistic? I like being optimistic, Nate, but I am definitely optimistic about both of them. Um, I think um Friermuth is someone who also could get a nice bump from this because I could also see them doing more two tight end sets going forward rather than just sticking in three wide receivers all the time. And one of Friermuth's problems is that he is off the field a lot in some running situations. So if they go to more two tight end sets, that means he will be on the field more, which will lead to at least a couple more routes run. But again, there's more targets to go around. I do think Gunner will probably be the primary slot receiver. Not that I'd be looking to pick him up with Steven Sims mixing in at times, but I think Gunner is probably the biggest person who will see an increase in snaps. So if you're in deeper leagues where all of the starters are on rosters, he'd be the one that would be seeing the increase in snaps, I would think. If someone's in a league where I don't have Pickens percentage owned in front of me right now, I would say he immediately becomes the primary waiver wire edition of the week. Again, he's probably taken in your league, so I don't want to be that guy. But this is someone that we were hyping up, again, several weeks ago, Nate, just as being a talented enough player that should something like this happen, he does have the opportunity to rise up in a hurry. So pick in someone that, again, as soon as next week, all of a sudden could be flirting with that wide receiver to borderline. God forbid we start getting 10 targets a game for both him and Deontay. Things could be looking up for this passing game in a hurry. All right. I hope more trades coming. They're fun breaking down real in real moment, uh, Nate. But back mm-hmm. to our regularly scheduled programming. We do have Romeo Dobbs coming off an impressive performance. I mean, that touchdown catch he made, absolutely awesome. And then he also made a couple other nice contested catch throughout uh, that, again, loss against the Bills. But at least the offense showed a little bit of signs of life in a pretty much uh, can't-win situation. So Romeo Dobbs still only owned 47% of ESPN leagues. It's not a guarantee that Alan Lazard is going to miss a bunch of time with a shoulder injury. That said, everyone else is seemingly banged up. Christian Watson with the hamstring injury again. Randall Cobb not coming back anytime soon. Romeo Dobbs, someone that I think we were hoping could have been more of a potential top 24 option already. 
God forbid Aaron Rodgers is passing game, do figure it out. It does seem like he's going to be the guy that's going to be the main beneficiary at wide receiver. Uh, yeah, I'm sure the Packers, if they don't pick up a wide receiver, if they keep on raising the trade value of these other receivers, which is probably why Claypool got the second round pick because the Packers were willing to do a third probably. Ooh. But um, Dobbs is the only one who can stay healthy in Green Bay. Um, I was a little bit concerned on the first drive. We were starting to see Christian Watson take a little bit of that playing time, but then he got injured right away and he's dealt with injuries throughout the season. So um, I think part of it could have been uh, Rogers comments earlier in the week about players who aren't playing as well, maybe don't deserve as much playing time, but Dobbs did have that excellent catch in the game. Hopefully that gained some of Rogers trust so that Dobbs can stay on the field and, if you can be the former MVP's number one target, I know it hasn't worked out for two months, but there's still two months left in the season, and we've seen players' values change all the time. So he's still someone I am happy to gamble on. Especially at this point. I mean, I think even at 10% fab would probably mm-hmm. be enough to get the job done there. So still, Rondale, definitely the top guy we're looking to add from this group at Romeo there as well. Bunch of other just names I'll kind of quickly go through. Alec Pierce still only owned in 29% of leagues. Does have 60 or more receiving yards in all but two games a season. Just realized last week that came on just five targets. And honestly, his snaps and routes weren't even up there, Nate. Was it more tight end usage? Or how come Alec Pierce just wasn't able to kind of get back to that every down roll that we saw him having in past weeks? Um, it's because they've given it to Paris Campbell and uh, Campbell's okay. had the role basically all season. So it's depending on how much they use two tight end sets. The one thing I am excited about Pierce this or going forward though, is they now have Sam Ellinger at quarterback. Ellinger loved throwing to the outside in this past game. Over half the targets went to outside receivers and that's where Pierce lines up. So Pittman saw a nice boost in his target share. So did Pierce. So um, if he continues to like throwing to the outside, that's probably good news for Pierce, bad news for Campbell and the tight ends. Colts did fire their play caller, you know, make that Which with change what you will. So, I mean, just how, how many years are we going to do this where Frank Reich and Chris Ballard just get every single benefit of the doubt here? It's just incredible to me, uh, just Jim Irsay and his ability to shuffle through this, and they're always just, you know, one quarterback away from having everything figured out. How about the big, bad offensive line that's still living on their reputation from like three years ago who hasn't made anything easy for anyone this offense all year long? I don't know. Pierce is fine. Nate, should he have been the number two clear-cut, number two pass game option going this year? Probably not. Michael Pittman's awesome, but I don't know. You pay Mo Alley-Cox a good amount of money in free agency. He scores two touchdowns, and I think he's had one catch since. It's not because he's sucked. They just don't throw him the football. So, Indy, just just an awesome organization uh, so far this year. Anyway, Van Jefferson, 11.5%. Tyquan Thornton, 3.5% owned. Terrence Marshall is there. Nico Collins, Darius Slayton. Out of this group, Nate, Nico Collins does have the chance to boom up the number one guy. Now, we did get a rap sheet tweet saying that while the Texans have gotten calls on Brandon Cooks, nothing is especially imminent. So, assuming Brandon Cooks doesn't get traded out of this group, who would you be most interested in trying to add to the back of a roster between Van Jefferson, Tyquan Thornton, Terrence Marshall, Nico Collins, and Darius Slayton? Um, I'd be fine saying Thornton. Um, Brandon Cooks isn't at practice today, so there's that at least. But um, it'll probably depend on the Parker injury in New England. Um, the big thing is New England has five wide receivers. Maybe at the trade deadline it gets down to four. Maybe if Parker's injury is serious, that gets down to three or four. So the big thing's been playing time with Thornton. He hasn't really showed it too much yet. But anytime you can get a first or second round wide receiver, who has a big role in an offense that someone I'm at least willing to take a chance on. 
And the Kendrick Bourne trade stuff, like people act like this is like Justin Jefferson on the trade block. I saw the yards per route run from last season, guys. I get it. It was an efficient year from Kendrick Bourne. But, you know, I think if he was really that good, like I don't think Bill Belichick has a vendetta against trying to play really good receivers out there. I think he got beat out by three guys that were better than him. So not saying Kendrick Bourne can't go help somewhere else, but I'm not, I would hardly call him getting moved, you know, disrupting the balance of power. He is firmly on the bench anyway, as things stand. So like that call on Taekwondo. Thornton we're gonna finish things up with tight end so we have Hayden Hurst continuing to do good things and especially with Jamar Chase out we can expect that weekly touchdown upside to consistently be you know higher than it would be if Chase was in there we already talked about Greg Dolchich being on by he is going to be the top overall tight end addition also Evan Ingram don't forget about him someone that as I mentioned in the sheesh report very close to having two touchdowns last week Tyler Conklin fresh off two touchdowns himself no I don't exactly expect Zach Wilson to be throwing three tutties 300 plus yards every single week moving forward but the fact he has that in his range of outcomes and he has a quarterback who would rather chuck the ball in the triple coverage and even think about throwing it out of bounds sometimes especially when he starts scrambling that is what you can get there the real interesting one nate is isaiah likely depending on how much time mark andrews could miss with his shoulder injury so Really annoying that we got to deal with this Monday night football game this week. But if Mark Andrews was just ruled out, Nate, and we had no questions about that, likely would be someone that would likely <laughs> be in our top six, top eight tight ends that quickly, man. It's not a one-for-one replacement of Mark Andrews by any stretch, but this is a very rare spot where we know they love likely. We've seen him put up numbers in the preseason. And now with Rashad Bateman out, like he's one of the only tight ends I can ever think of going from backup to a starter and not just become a number one tight end arguably become the number one pass game option uh yeah it's not one for one in terms of talent but it was one for one in terms of role on the offense he took all of the snaps that you would have expected andrews to take he saw all of the targets you expected andrews to see for targets um the only downside is like you said it's monday night it's not the best matchup against the saints um they had allowed the fourth fewest fantasy points to tight end so far this season so that isn't great. And then the Ravens have a bye week after that. So if, if Andrews is back within the next two weeks, we might not see all that much out of likely. But if we find out that Andrews is out for like a month or so after the bye week, they have some two very good or two very favorable matchups for their tight end. So likely could have some huge weeks if Andrews is out for extended time. Coming off that six-catch, 77-yard and touchdown performance. Ravens coach John Harbaugh did say Andrew's shoulder injury is, quote-unquote, not a major thing. He was questionable, like a legit game-time decision, seemingly, with that knee injury coming into it. So, yeah, really would make sense for Andrews to get this week off, come back healthy after the bye. Stay tuned more for that. As always, you can catch myself and Nick Bodiford on the Friday edition of this podcast where we go through each and every fantasy-relevant entry to keep you guys all set. And Nate, I believe we are all set now, got through every single thing here. Just real quick to rehash. Top five waiver wire additions of the week. Going to be Bears running back Khalil Herbert versus Dolphins. Kyron Williams at the Buccaneers. Nice little lottery ticket there. Rondale Moore against the Seahawks, Justin Fields against the Dolphins, and Greg Dolchich on a bye week, but really does profile as a tight end one moving forward. At quarterback behind Fields, if you need another streamer, I would say Mariota and Jared Goff are your two guys. Also keep an eye on P.J. Walker, owned in, again, only 2.1% of ESPN leagues. Andy Dalton, not the worst option either. At running back behind Khalil Herbert, again, we have Kyron Williams as that true lottery ticket. Also don't sleep on Isaiah Pacheco and Deontay Foreman continuing to mix in some solid flex performances as a projected lead early down back in their respective offenses. 
Don't sleep on Jalen Warren's handcuff upside. Latavius Murray and James Cook also seem to be slightly ascending at wide receiver. Again, Rondale Moore, the top ad. Kadarius Tony, Romeo Dobbs, I would say slightly a lesser extent on the latter. True lottery tickets out there that you should not feel bad about trying to get. Allen Robinson, Alec Pierce, Van Jefferson. We can talk about the ceilings not being great. Still guys in offenses that don't have many other places to go with the ball. So for that, we have them. But Tyquan Thornton really going to be the preferred very low-owned ad because of that Devontae Parker knee injury. And again, at tight end, Greg Dolchitz probably giving me the most consistency for the rest of the season at the position. That said, if Mark Andrews is out this week, Isaiah likely is going to be the top week nine addition at tight end that you can really go get your hands on. Sound about right, Nate. Oh, yeah, that all sounds good. And just keep an eye on any more trades because that could ruin everything that we talked about. Absolutely. At least we got the Claypool one in here. So mm-hmm. I, I've been pushing PFF just for 24-7, 365 fantasy stream until I just like heal over and just fall <laughs> off and then have people run me out and just yeah. bring in the next guy up. But until that point, we'll continue to try to get by with these five episodes per week and have you guys covered. But guess what? Anything does change, you can head on over to PFF.com and we will assuredly have the updates for you there. So Nate, let people know what else you have on PFF.com because I can hardly keep track, my friend, every single week in the consumer chat nate is sending his damn article workload and i swear i gotta scroll down the screen just to see the whole thing so let, let people know what's up man uh sure so i have all the recaps to all of the games that have happened so far this past week um have the waiver wire targets with everyone we just talked about with plenty more stats and charts on all of them uh have the five to add five to drop five to buy low five to sell high that went up today have the rest of season rankings that went up today uh tomorrow it'll be my rankings for this upcoming week and then the day after that it'll be my start set column as always, you can get my Sheesh Report, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end breakdowns all throughout the week. And hey, guess what? Mismatch Manifesto on Fridays, along with some injury notes from my guy Mario as well. So appreciate you guys tuning in to these live shows. Always appreciate, you know, just just some good vibes, man. It's an easy sport to find a lot of uh, negative apples out there, but uh, just blessed to, you know, mostly have a community here that we're forming. And it's just people helping people, trying to focus on the good things in life. Nothing wrong with that. So for Nate, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.